Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Out of Character with Jupiter Sanders and with Cotton. Cotton, hello. Hello. Maybe stupid pet tricks, stupid GM tricks, or I mean, what, uh, what, what, what do you, random what thoughts? This, this was your idea. This you came up with this one, and I said, "All right, let's do it." But I was like, I don't know quite how to frame it. So you tell me what it is you want to talk about because you're the 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 new GM that's got the regular table. Right. So th this was this was my idea of basically I just want to talk about some ideas that I've had. As a as a new GM, I guess of a fifth edition that I have not seen in like top five things as a GM you should do list. You know, like you ever you Google that shit, or do you not? Mm -hmm. Do you have the confidence? No, 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 no. Do you know if you Google if you were to Google how to be a better game master, there's like a over a billion results of articles, blogs, some videos, and then there's weird accessories and tools that you can buy to help you and so apparently this is something everybody needs help with yeah i mean i think so and i think it, it definitely traffics on the insecurity that people have mm -hmm. and, uh, and and just be aware if you're a new gm and you haven't done this you're going to be just it's going to be hectic my best advice for you there would be to have a uh, i did this recently i took a piece of paper and made a little note that just said slow down i, I talk fast anyway mm -hmm. i get amped up it gets worse I'm going fast enough. So that's there. There's tip number one. Make a little note that literally says slow down. Take your time. Take a deep breath. Because while you're thinking of some bullshit to say, you could just be, you actually just looks like you're uh, like, like, how, like puffing it up. Like, hmm, excellent question, young Padawan. Like, internally, it's like, I have no idea what the fuck is behind that door. But if you pause and take a second, you will have more time to think and it will look less scrambly. And in general, you won't be uh, <laughs> skit sorting out like I, I uh, very much was early on, that kind of thing. Okay, so you find that as you you as the GM, you know what's going to happen, you know where you want to take the story or where it should go, based on how many left turns they take. So you're saying you might get excited and amped up and just go a little too fast, and that you need to just slow it down. Right, and even on this podcast, I'm... oh yeah, no, 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 I can tell. So I just let you do. I let you run, run yourself, get get yourself tired out. Once you're tuckered out, <laughs> then I'll talk, and it's fine. It works. It works. Oh god, <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. It's like, and then <laughs> get away. Here's some actual shit, y'all. From <laughs> he had to come up for air, and so I'm gonna get in there. And I, I didn't really mean like charge right into like the list, but I was just saying in general, I think that a lot of new GMs are going to get your ass kicked and they're going to Google top 15 fucking things to do. And they're going to find the same goddamn you know, the same list over and over and over. And I don't know, this was, this was mine. This was, and it's not even a top list. It was just, I figured it would be cool for us to sit back and talk about our own, our own little personal yeah. Yeah. aces in the hole. Mm -hmm. Cards up your sleeve. Okay. There you go. I feel like too many of the, of the help things are like, Encourage your player, like, like general bullshit that's not actually helpful. You know, like, you know, don't add people to your table who have been convicted of felonies recently. Like, okay, like, uh, well, I, I do my... think it, it does, it's not able. So, these advice columns, articles, whatever, they aren't able to account for the different people you are going to have at your table. I think it assumes you've got good players, and we don't always have good players so it's difficult to learn how to be a good gm if you don't have a strong set of players and when i say good player 
I mean, somebody that has experience, you don't have to hold their hand through where you have new players. So it's a little more burdensome for you because you are now teaching them how to play as well as being GM. Yes. Yeah. This is very OK. Um, but I guess, you know, and we were thinking about what to do with the episode and mm-hmm. this is what came to mind. Yeah. No, if, if I, I just go great. straight into the go into this, it. This is what was in my head. I was uh, I make a lot of encounter builders. Mm. I slow down. Yeah. Slow down. One, slow down. Take a breath. Think about your response. Let them play it out. And I'm I'm a talkative person, so give them room to go. I, I don't know if everyone would have that problem like I do, but I have to kind of remember to take myself out of it. You know, like I'm not the like narrate, give them give them the information, set the scene, shut the fuck up. So that's that. I don't know how many websites would put step one, shut the fuck up more. You know, maybe that's your problem. If you're a quiet person, ignore that one. But um. Anyway, I use uh, Cobalt Fight Club to do lots of encounters for my D&D game. It's great. Are you familiar with the with the KFC? No, no, I'm not. It is an encounter builder. Okay. It's like you're a GM. You don't know how hard of a fight to get these players. And so you plug in some stuff like a Cobalt. It's like one-eighth of a, of a challenge rating. And you do some math, and it will just spit it out, and it will say, this is a medium encounter. Okay. This is an easy encounter. This is hard. And you're like, okay, it's not perfect. There's different ways to make things that look hard easy and things that look easy hard. But it, it can give you a baseline, something to work with. And what I have found is, because it is inexact, you will sometimes give a fight that's way too easy for your players or way too hard for your players and not know. And you don't want to pull punches. You don't want to, like, cheat. I mean, sometimes you want to pull punches. But not be sick. You want to get caught. I yeah. admit, you do okay. not want to get caught. You don't want it to be obvious. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have to have the, uh, you know, the the skeleton general just kind of like, well, uh, the bindings on his ligaments weren't too good, so he just <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> that was a lucky break, y'all. You know. So what I have found is that the most powerful mechanical impact on a D and D fight, and frankly, probably other games, is the action economy. It's not so much about how powerful any particular baddie is or whatever. It's the swarm. It's how many actions people get to have. Because I noticed both in in the Cobalt Fight Club, the like equation thing, numbers made that thing explode faster than anything. It wasn't about like, oh, you've got one big tough ogre. You could go from like four enemies that were shitty to six enemies that were shitty. And that was game breaking. That was like the 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 cakewalk to you're dead because they just swarm and then you're dead they get they all get to go they stab you and you don't get to go because you're dead now does that make sense what do you mean they all get to go like, okay if you have like six goblins yeah or like, goblins, like yeah. lost 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 minds of Fandelvar all right has a famous first encounter with four goblins against level one players three goblins is a cakewalk four goblins is often enough a tpk yeah, I, I understand the numbers. I get that. I'm saying, what do you right. mean they all get to go? There's initiative order. They don't all go first, right? They don't. Well, but they all... Excuse me, I choked on some mice. <laughs> they, they usually get to go at the same time. What? Pretty much nobody. You put all six going at the same time? You don't roll individual initiative for your enemies? No! Oh my god, you're lazy. No wonder you're TPK people. <laughs> oh, who who's going to roll oh, initiative who, who, for 12 who? velociraptors? That is horrible. I at least group it. If they're like 12, I'll group it. Like, all right, here's a group of three, group of three, group of three, group of three. I, I, Because so I don't want 12 enemies to go first or before, you know, you know, the bulk of the party or, you know, like, yeah. 
All right, but go on, go on, go on, go on. Tip one is don't be so lazy. Uh, that's you can go the you can go the Jupiter way and have a, a more individualized system. We're very different DMs. You just pick the yeah. wrong way, guys. What I what I have done is to, to break up the action economy or to uh, change around a fight is to play around with enemies coming into a fight midstream. There you go. That's my boring banal mechanical tip number one. Uh, my players went into a room. There's a big undead wizard. She's doing evil undead shit. She's got some skeletons on top of skeletal war horses. It's a fight. And I'm describing the scene. And I've got like a goblin in gesture suit in the background. And I had this big pit full of uh, like body parts and stuff. Now, if nothing ever happens with the body parts, it was just cool scenery, right? They go, oh, wow. She's so evil. And she's got this big pit full of like arms and noses and shit. And it's, oh, it's bad. And she's clearly, she's clearly, clearly got to go. You know, she's evil. Body parts. But if my players were doing very well, at any point, I could uh, have her take her, like, cursed amulet, break it open, undead power surges from this thing into the pits like a noxious green gas, and out comes this big abomination-y zombie deal. And if he was there during the fight, it would have just murdered the players. It's too much too fast. But, you know, it's, it's the old ninja problem. If all the ninjas attack at once, the hero dies. But they attack one at a time, it's very easy. So that was a way for me to introduce a second encounter really into one encounter by having fight one and fight two and appending them, and I can have them overlap at any time I want or just never call them up, and they never knew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a um, cultist one time drink. It was like this big ceremony, and they're chanting, you know, Uga Chaka, maybe not that. But uh, they're, they're chanting evil stuff, and they drink this black viscous liquid. And then, like, this mummy emerges from, you know, it's like emerges from this coffin in this evil ceremony with the overseeing, like, cultist leader dude. Now, that fight was apparently really hard. The original plan was to have those cultists come back, I think, as zombies or skeletons or something. They were going to, like, move and twitch and vibrate. And then, but I didn't do it. It was just a, it was just cool scenery, but in my back pocket, I had the ace up the hole in case that fight was too small. I could say, oh, well, you see one of the cultists start to twitch. Uh-oh. That's bad. That gives a little forewarning to the players. How many rounds do they have until these things stand up? As many as I need. I, that's, there you go. That's, that's a, qu a little quick trick that I have used over and over and over to pull punches, to ratchet the difficulty to exactly where I want. And it also kind of makes me add more to the scene because every time I don't use it, it's just cool. It's just cool set piece. Or you can roll initiative in separate three pack groups. That's fine too. <laughs> well, that's fine too. <laughs> I think. So what do you think? Is no. is that too low to the ground? Is that an interesting tip? I I think it is. It is a good tip. There are uh, several encounter builders out there. There's also like treasure. Hordes, like if you're just too lazy or, or just don't want to spend the time, you can plug in the info and it'll spit out, well, this is this is the treasure they find in that room. All right, cool. You know, why not? So, I mean, they are good tools to use if you, you know, need to come up with something and you're drawing a blank. I like the, I like the treasure hoard tables for the money because mm -hmm. they come up with like really weird off amounts that I don't want to have to worry about thinking up. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, so you're not giving everything a nice round zeros at the end. Like, well, yeah, fuck them. 1,427 yeah. silver coins. Carry that shit out, fucker. You know? <laughs> well, no, it is. They are good. They are good tips. They, they are. That is. That, that is helpful. I don't use them too often. I tend to come up with my own encounters, and they're not always balanced. I know that. Sometimes they're too difficult, and I've got to pull punches, or sometimes they're not difficult enough, and they steamroll right over them. But then that's like a fine-tuning for me to learn how to build a better encounter for the table. But two different approaches. So is there any way by which you modulate a fight? If the fight's going easy, then hey, good for them. They had an easy fight. If the fight's going hard, tough cookies. Is that kind of the approach? Or? No. No, no, no. Uh, it's never, I, I'm never, a, a, oh, well, too bad. Suck it up. No. No, no, no. I just have to... I adjust on the fly if I need to, if things are going really wrong. I mean, unless they make a grossly, they do an action that is just so grotesquely a mistake. <laughs> like, you really ah, shouldn't have done then that. You can't. You, you just can't, can't bring yourself. <laughs> I mean, okay. if you're just like, oh, we're at the cave of the, you know, the dragon where the dragon lives, and you have somebody that just pulls their sword out, and Leroy Jenkins screams and runs in. And the others are like, oh, I'm not running in after him. I that one's gonna die. I can't pull the punch <laughs> unless I have their god, if they're religious, come down in a vision and stop their ass. Ah, <laughs> uh, divine intervention. We meet once again. Right? Come on, D100. Like, do you really need to pull God down, their god down, to go? What are you doing? You're crazy. Get out of here. Get out of here. You know, like, eh. Now. I think it would be funny to, to to GM that if somebody repeatedly pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Could be like, like what's what's going on now, Gerald? This happened again. Fuck. Okay, great. But, uh, so to me, you're then <laughs> teaching your player. Oh, the more dumbass shit I do, the more often I get to speak to my god. I'm like, wait, wait, that's not what I'm trying to teach you as a GM. But as a player, it's probably very fun to to do that. So you would keep doing the behavior. Until you, until it didn't work. I mean, that's, like divine interventions are what ten to twenty percent success rate. If somebody has the heart of the dice, who am I to say no? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they just keep popping it, you know. And I double check their dice, put it in water, make sure it floats the right way. <laughs> kind of thing. But uh, that was my little trick that I've never seen anyone. I've never personally heard someone go over. It's it's a way to modulate to to control the action economy. How many enemies are fighting at any given time? That is, that is a big part of the fight, mm-hmm. and it lets you sort of like mix encounters together for bigger storytelling. Because I was frustrated that like my players are fourth or fifth level. I get not very high, I know, but like I want to have a cool fight. I want it to be cool even at second level and third level. Mm-hmm. And uh, first level, don't worry about that. It's fine. Uh, but the other ones, I want I want them to have cool fights. And when you plug this stuff in, it's like, uh, man, what would a really good knockdown drag out fight be? Uh, it's like two skeletons and like a boar. You're like, fuck, that's not very cool. Like, there's you feel really oppressed, frankly, in the in the economy of like where you can spend these challenge rating points. And you can say, well, that's just too mechanical. But it does like if you do put the eight skeletons, they are going to die. Mm-hmm. They will get overwhelmed by by sheer mass. Yeah, probably. So it's a way, and, and so you can actually tell, like, have a bigger fight. That kind of like the two health bars meme. You can have wave one of four skeletons, and then the reinforcements. They hear the fighting. They mm-hmm. come around the corner. So you're enhancing your story, and you're having a bigger fight. 
that has that cool payout by just having Encounter 6 and 7 look like Encounter 6 Part A and Encounter 6 Part B is kind of a thing. So there you go. Okay. But a little tip to uh, puff up your, your cool fights when you feel like you just don't have enough enough budget before you murder your players. <laughs> the goal is never to murder murder your players. That's generally the goal. What other, what other tips have you... What other secrets have you found as you've been GMing your table? What other things that you've never read before, but you're like, hey, I started doing this thing now, and it's working great? I don't... I, I've never read this. It's probably somewhere. And that is, you're going to want to give your players exposition at some point. And whatever your go-to way for this is going to feel old. And this is a great way to use all those skills that, that are not combat-related mm-hmm. or other weird shit from your character's backgrounds or their their story, their, whatever it is. So uh, I, I want my players to find a note. I think in my first campaign I ever ran, it was like, you defeat the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's got a journal, and it's got exposition that says you're supposed to go here. Like, it was a clear A to B. Mm-hmm. It was a way to get them to go do the thing. And I was like, well, I've done that once. That's cool. But how do I, I can't just always have my players go kill the boss and then pull out the old journal. You know, thankfully, all my bad guys are, you know, um, you know, very methodical diarists. You know, yeah. they really keep, they're, they're, really they're, good, they're, they're, they're writing their memoirs. Number one. And number two, they have paper and pen. Number three, they actually take records. That's amazing. Yeah. You have a and certain so, kind uh, of enemy. Okay. I like I like an upper crust. Yeah, I want yeah. I want I want my uh, I want the thinking man's enemy, you know, wizards <laughs> and whatnot. Uh, you know, but so I was like, okay, well, instead of just having exposition dump, give it, find all the exposition that you want to say, and and find some way to bring this to your characters either through a skill check or through something that is interesting about their character, and obviously spread the love. So this person has a really good investigate score. For some reason. Okay? That's usually not a high score. It's int-based, I believe. So not many characters have int. No one really goes for investigating a hard way. But if they did, uh, you know, you find, you know, you, you, you're passing this cave by, and there are footprints and blood. And let them, and say, make an investigate check. Okay? They make an investigate check. And it's like, by deduction, you see that there the, uh, the blood was there uh, before... The footsteps walk by because it tells you it tells you some information. Was this like a fight happened and then people moved in? Maybe you see like dragged lines and you're able to determine that that was someone like unconscious being dragged back on their heels. You can give them this exposition via their character and depending on how well they did on the roll, how much detail you give them. So boom, exposition, skill check. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have uh, what's another good one? You could have someone do like a, a medicine check to see how long a body's been somewhere which give you some determination over how active some potential dungeon or encounter is, that kind of deal. I'm trying to think of another good one. Uh, percep- percep- don't do perception, because perception's always... I'm not saying don't do it, but it's obviously a very powerful skill that everyone does. So that's why I would say if you want to have a visual, maybe lean toward that investigate bit. I had somebody who had uh, who had a journal thing or something, and I saw that one of my players had abyssal. They chose abyssal as a language. I'm like, man, I want to, I want to throw that some love because abyssal. Everyone goes what? Elf, dwarvish, you know, the the, the biggies. Abyssal. All right, this, this this person went a little out there. Mm-hmm. So I had them write their journal in Infernal. They were like a mage of this lawful evil group, 
the Thanes or something. So, okay, Infernal is not Abyssal. But Abyssal is the demonic language, Infernal's devils, and Abyssal uses its alphabet. And so I was like, make an intelligence check. And he rolled, like, medium on it. And I was like, okay, you get, like... And I described, like, half the exposition. They have some, but not all. So stuff like that. Work work that in. If, if your character has a noble background, have them notice something that a noble would know. Or that would... You know, maybe uh, someone who's in disguise betrays, you know, they, they put their pinky up when they drink their tea. Or a goblin has a ring with a sigil on it, and you recognize the house, and you're looking for, you know, the, the, the missing somebody, the missing heir to the throne, and you recognize that signet ring as very particular. You know, maybe not the house you're looking for, but they're, they're vanguard or something. Mm-hmm. So find some way to get your exposition in, and you can make it less shoehorny, and pull up cool parts of your players' backgrounds by using that as the lens or the, the method by which to deposit the exposition mm-hmm. versus, you know, here's a letter that says they're, they're over there. They're in the big yeah. tower to the east. No, I mean, you look I, to the east I, tower. I get it. And you do want to you do want to play off of what your players' characters are, what skills they have, their backgrounds, their you know, things like that, things that have happened to them in the past. You you do want to play off of that. And I get that, but the problem is sometimes only out of your table of, let's say, five, you got one or two people that actually gave you stuff to play off of, and the others didn't give you as much to play off of. So it's a little more difficult to play off of those, to pull those things up. And it's easier to do with the the two that gave you the good info and have stuff happening in their background to, to play off of. And then you end up kind of focusing more on just those two and leaving the rest a little less used and that starts to shine through. And so it's it's difficult to keep that bounce of, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to, like, well, this person's character just is full of so many things I can use. And then they you inadvertently put the spotlight on them. Okay, I, I can see. If, and again, it's going to be a feel thing. Mm-hmm. If you feel like that's happening, I don't know. I, I feel like as a GM, it's kind of like, it's kind of on you to figure out someone to find something about that. Something is unique. It could just be their class. They're a paladin. Cool. Let's go find some paladin shit. Let's go find a fellow brother in the, you know, of the of the watch. Or you could go find someone of their church with some something for them to do. A side quest. A bonus thing. Uh, I feel like I could find something. Just give me some, you know, mm-hmm. something that that speaks to that either that race, that class, their background. A language, a skill that they that, that they've kind of got a uh, an edge on. I, I can find something, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully you don't have two people who made like the same power game to the gills, hexblade, paladin, multi glass bullshit. Then which in which case they don't give a shit. They're here. To, they're here. They're no, here to I'm not talking anyway, about so the the mechanics of it. I'm talking about the tapestry of the character, the the rich background, the the description of them, how they interact with people. I'm talking about players that give you a lot to work with not mechanically just in rp essence they give you things to work with and you end up just bouncing off of that character so much that you inadvertently put too much of the limelight on them so you have to be careful when you do it so it's just i'm just saying for other people not for you i'm saying for other people be careful when you do this Make sure you spread it around. And if you can't spread it around equally, 
talk to those other players that kind of are lacking and just start asking them questions like what happened you know like what happened do they have parents do they have siblings why are they adventuring and just try to get something more into their background so you can play off of it right i think i think one of the first things i did was ask my players before during the session zero is your character has to have a reason to go get on the boat mm-hmm. you know in this case it was a literal boat but like just speaking like does your character have a reason to get on the boat and if so, do they have a reason to team up with these people who are also on the boat? Mm-hmm. Like, give me a say. If, if you can't answer those, then we're not. Your character doesn't mesh. So, uh, and some people are quiet. Some of those people really don't want to be the limelight. That's that's that. I think that's hard for me because I don't. Some people just really don't want to be in the limelight, mm-hmm. and some people haven't been given the opportunity. And so, I don't know if it's that I'm not passing the ball accurately. Or is it they don't want the ball? Yeah, some <laughs> some player there are there are different player types, and one of them is the spectator that just likes being there to watch the story, and and that's cool. And if you can identify them as that, and and you've had a GM to player conversation where they tell you, no, I'm just enjoying being here. I don't need to be in the limelight. All right, cool. Let me know if you want to be. You know. But still, once in a while, throw them something off of their sheet. But there are players that just prefer. I I I think myself, probably in the beginning, I was very much just a spectator. And didn't really dig in and and do stuff. Um. Did you hmm? did you still have fun as a spectator? Yeah, I did. I had okay. fun as a spectator. Yeah. Um, So we have Leal and Zakara and Psychotron uh, all listening right now. And Leal and Zakara both have said that they adjust uh, encounters on the fly or when needed. Um, Zakara has mentioned something that is, is, is it's it's a burr. It's a burr for me. It it bugs me. Don't overuse skill checks. If they aren't in danger and have time. He almost never calls for one unless it's particularly difficult and if they have a moderate level of skill. Nothing sucks more than when the player is supposed to be good at something, but because of dice, they fail at simple tasks. Yes. Oh, I, I, I know you agree with this. I don't agree with this. <laughs> I don't agree with this. I'll... If you don't you want to roll the bad. dice, then don't play a tabletop RPG. If you are unhappy if the dice roll badly in your in your don't roll in your favor, play a different game because this game is built on the dice. The dice tell the story. We've all heard this set. The dice tell the story. So you can't agree, uh, no. But wait, but Oz says, "Hey, they can still succeed, but you can always just throw in a complication to account for the, the badness of the role. There's a complicated, they succeeded, they could do it because they're awesome at doing the thing, but something else happened. All right, that's probably the only compromise I could I could get behind is, is doing something like that. Man, Jupiter, man. Fiat Justitia oh. Ruat Dicem. <laughs> Let justice be done how the dice may fall. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, we disagree. Uh, I don't know. I think you should be able, and maybe this is the, the Shadowrun background coming out, but I, I I like it when players finagle themselves to where the dice 
you know, out of the power of the dice. They they stack the deck so much that the deck doesn't get to have a say because they just outsmarted it. They just they just they just basically like saw the code in the matrix and changed the zero to the one and got the win. I can appreciate that. I think that's a cool that's a, that's a slick move. If you can if you can get there. Mm-hmm. Or uh and I, I agree don't use don't overuse skill checks. I because they they bring the game to a halt and like RP stop, pull out your dice, pick it up, make the roll, what's my number and you don't want to rely on them. Like, like, that is such a newbie mistake uh, as a GM. The uh, okay, the Rangers are gonna make this nature roll, and then they're gonna have the exposition, and then the oh fuck, he failed. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I do agree. If they're not in a stressed out situation, yeah, you don't need to call for a skill check. But if they're in a situation and there's any level of difficulty or stress in it, they're gonna have to roll the die. And if the roll is bad, it's bad. Sorry. That's 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 the game. That's the game. I'm, I, if we if we don't rely on the dice in a tabletop RPG, all we are is a bunch of people sitting around together, uh, uh, sitting around a table together, just telling a story of everything we want to have happen without zero consequences. And that's not the you game. Got, like, the entire listener base looking at you like blink blink. What? Yep. What? <laughs> that's what they. That's I don't want to say without zero consequences, but we are all sitting around in a circle, telling a story. And D and D more than most is a it is like they're all power fantasy. They are telling much. a story, but the dice help to to show if it's the consequences. If you roll badly, you aren't successful at it. If the bad guy rolls better than you, guess what? You're in trouble of dying. You're gonna have to figure out another way. It's not just sitting around just without paper, pencil, and dice and just, all right, well, what do you want to happen? Well, I want to be sure I kill that bad guy So before he kills me. All right, that's done. We don't even have to roll. You killed him. All right, what do you want to happen? Well, I want to get all of his gold and all of his magic items for anybody else. All right, done. We don't have to roll or anything. You can just do that. Where's the... Where's the tension if it's just, well, what do you want to happen? Well, I want only good things to happen. Well, don't we all? <laughs> but that ain't okay, the I game. I think it's more of I'm in line with the Oz perspective of, of a complication. Like my player did not roll well. And I was like, this is going to be a cool moment. He's going to use his in his abyssal uh, language knowledge, which is infernal alphabet. He's going to be able to, and he rolled like 11 or 12. Like after his, you know, like he rolled not great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well. So so what does like if he had if he had knocked it out of the park like fifteen or higher, I would have said like here's more or less what it says, and it would have been along the lines of him just knowing what the answer was. You know, you're able to piece together, but he didn't. So what did I, I gave him a a reduced amount, not distance, just basic direction, not what this thing looks like, no intelligence on uh, how it's guarded or defended, the the area they're going to. So. Yeah, he failed, and the dice impact the story. It would be a lot better to know how far you have to go, what things are there, in what number, and at night the guards are going to be or on on whatever date they're going to be off, uh, having a uh, you know a team building exercise. So the, so the the Manning will be cut in half. They're out doing the the arm cross fall thing, and uh, so they'll be at half capacity. Like that would have been that is where the dice impact the story, but it's not just you fail. Mm-hmm. It's you you win, but not great. Mm-hmm. You get to know where to go next, but you don't get all you don't the, the, you don't get the big win. You don't you're not relying 
we, you know, there should be like in that example with the abyssal language mm-hmm. thing, there was no output that is you just can't decipher the fucking thing. Yeah. So maybe we're just maybe we're saying the same thing differently. Like would maybe. you like I don't well, want to have that. So Zakara has the example: if someone wants to cook everyone and they're good at cooking, and they were to roll the dice and they rolled a one, well, they're good at cooking. They can't. I'm not talking about cookies. I, if it's inconsequential to the campaign or the story as a whole, and it's just an RP, fine. Don't have them roll the dice. I'm fine with that. What I get upset with is I sometimes see players that get upset when they roll the die and it fails, and then they're like, but I'm good at this. How am I failing to do it? You rolled the dice badly. That That's how. That's how you failed. That's how you failed. <laughs> You failed. You failed. That that's how. And I, I get upset with players that get upset with their dice rolls. And it's like, if we take the dice out of the game, it's not really the same game. Yeah, but how do you feel about giving all kids a trophy even if they lose? I hate how do you feel about that? Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I don't like participation <laughs> trophies. I just don't. I know. Well, I don't have kids. I haven't screwed up anyone. It's fine. Any other any other tips? I was gonna say. Uh, oh, let me get back to my notes here. <laughs> notes, notes. Oh yeah. I see uh, why all I... of your bad guys take good notes. Yeah, they <laughs> <laughs> do not tell people about the trap <laughs> in room four B. Also, <laughs> I congratulate myself on coming up with a great naming algorithm for the various parts of this cave. <laughs> Signed me, room five A. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay. 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 I have okay. to get like recentered. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So I use I use maps. I download off the internet because I'm lazy mm-hmm. and I can't draw. Mm-hmm. So I had a map recently where there was like it was a cave and it was cool as hell. And I was like, this is the this is this is the map I want for the big final fight. It's this big expansive cave has a choke point here. There's this there's this weird ass waterfall. I don't. Really want the waterfall because it's supposed to be the upper part of a cave, and so it doesn't. Uh, whatever, it's a fucking waterfall. It's a uh, underground, underground thing. Great. So it was just there, right? And my ranger, he's a lizard folk. He asks, "How deep is the water?" And I was, and I'm thinking like, "Why the fuck are you asking me this?" And I have learned if a player asks you anything about the map or anything like that, how far away exactly are those trees? How deep is the water? Uh, how high is that statue? Like, wh- whatever. Uh, I have learned to be cagey as fuck. Because they have some plan. And I think maybe they're afraid you're going to, like, tell them no. Or you're going to, like, find out what their plan is. And then be like, oh, oh sorry, nope. Uh, I-, I don't know. But they're kind of cagey with it. So I'm just cagey back. And so this guy was like, how deep is the water? And I'm like, well, this part's kind of like, oh, it's not very deep. I was thinking he wanted to, like, run and go up this little hill. So I, did- I didn't want it to be deep because I thought that would be cool. Like go up here and run to the water, and if the water's like twelve feet deep, it's gonna fuck that up. So I'm not invested in this water in any way. Why? Why should I fuck up my guy's plans if he has a cool, a cool idea? And he goes, uh, "Oh well, I was hoping it was deep enough to dive in because my character has a swim speed." And I'm like, "Oh, well, I just meant this part shallow. This over here, that's like five or ten feet deep. Not very deep, but it's you could dive in it. You know, I just, I just lied. I just made shit up because that way now he gets to run off and dive in the water." And he was doing this really cool, like, because he'd hold his breath for, like, three fucking hours because he's a lizard folk. And he would dive he would dive down. He comes up. 
fires two shots, goes back down. Obscured disadvantage on attacks coming from enemies. And it was a really cool little moment where he just gets to hang out in the water, pop up, and boop, boop, pop down. And had this neat thing he came up with. And if I had hard leaned into something and said, oh, it's only like, you know, three feet deep, man. Don't worry, you could run across it with no no difficult terrain, or maybe this part's difficult terrain. Oh, I can't die. So just just be cagey. Uh, that's not a hugely great, impactful tip, but I'll just, if, if or I'll ask my players, what are you trying to do? And it turns out their interpretation of the terrain is always correct. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, I, I do like letting the players, um, you know, if they want to come up with an out-of-the-box way of thinking it. And they will always ask. Like, you can have all the details. You could think you have every single detail in place. And a player will ask you a question on one thing that you don't have written down. Like... Well, how far away are the trees? Like you, you just said there were a line of trees. Well, now they want to know exact. Like you have what kind of tree, you know, how, how tall they are, all of it, you know, all of this. And they're, they're, they would want to know, well, how from the ground to the first branch, how many feet? As I, what? Like, you do have to think very quickly as a, as a GM and you do want to make sure what, you know, that you're doing, that you're making the environment in a way that the players want to interact with it, that they can do their cool stuff. That's true. I I get it. And and that's good because you want the players to feel good about, about doing the thing that they they invested in on their character sheet. Yeah, I've and I've just learned not to give an, an answer that like I don't want to be committed to anything really <laughs> until I know what they're planning. Is this tree uh is it pine or oak? Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? It's aspen. Because I know they don't know shit about aspen trees. That means it can be whatever I want. You know, oak strong, pine softwood. What the fuck is aspen? No one knows. If you do, fuck you. And uh, so. Who doesn't know what an aspen is? Oh, but, but do you know any anything? I mean anything about the, the habitat, leaf I've structure. only ever seen aspens grow in mountainy areas. There are, I don't, I don't see too many aspens out here in the Midwest. You never heard of the, of the, uh, the desert aspen? No, not heard of the desert aspen. It's because I made it See? the fuck up because you don't know yeah. shit about aspens. All no right, one knows it could be anything. The desert aspen. Hey. Dragons are going to have a fucking desert aspen. You bring it up. Bring this up with, with I had a boat in a Shadowrun game. A boat. A prison boat. And I was asked the question, how much water does it displace? And the thing was, the player, in out-of-game knowledge knew exactly how much water it displaced and knew what it meant if I committed to an answer. And it it was, it, oh, oh drove me insane. But. Oh, oh, fuck that. You know, yeah, you, they you, will you ask you shit that they know. And then when you say it wrong or you commit to something, they're like, ah, gotcha. And it's like, that's not even in-game knowledge. That's, that's out-of-game yeah. knowledge. Here's a gotcha. It displaces zero because it just fucking sank with you <laughs> on it. New character. There we go. <laughs> you do need really good improv skills, I think, as a GM. You really need. And I think Gen Con, they even have uh, some sessions that you could pay for. That you, you pay to go to to improve your improv skills. I think that would be great. I am pretty quick off the cuff, mm -hmm. and it helps. Mm -hmm. It's just, just you know, to, to quote the illustrious Steve Bannon, flood the zone with bullshit. <laughs> there you go. Just fucking, just overwhelm, and, and, you will, and that is an excellent GM tip. Have an answer, talk shit, you know, mm -hmm. 
jazz your way out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think an improv class. Uh, I, I think like I have. I'll give you an example. I was at a steampunk convention and we had a compliments duel. So you're just standing across from somebody <laughs> in the crowd with a microphone, and they would compliment you, and you had to compliment them back, and you couldn't mention the same thing twice. And that is good practice because you have to come up with something to say. Doesn't matter how stupid, banal, insipid, uh, contrived, uh, whatever. Just, just, and and that itself, I think, was would be excellent practice. And uh, it's also it improves your relationship. So just stand across from your your spouse, partner, whatever, and just uh, get yourself into a nice compliment duel. You're gonna improve your relationship. You're gonna improve your GM skills. Boom! That just made it into into Cotton's tip number like four at this point. There you go. Compliment duels. Great way to improve your uh. Your your improv skills as a GM. All right. So, what's your next tip? Oh, let's see. Did you? <laughs> I kind of wanted to ask you about this. Uh oh. Retconning. Before I get into this, how do you feel about like I, I'll give you one I'm struggling with. Uh, that amulet that could like resurrect the dead body. Mm-hmm. One of my players took it, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, you uh, you find out it's cursed. I was going to not put it on. And he goes, yeah, I put it on. And I'm like, fuck, I've got no clue what the hell this thing does. <laughs> and so I think it just made it like a cloak of protection because those are generally good. Like, oh, you have a plus one to all saves I and a plus it one to AC. The dead. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I regret. I'm like, I should have made this thing raise the dead. I just choked. I absolutely choked. I'm like, I want that back. I went to the player and I'm like, I just think that's kind of boring and frankly not worth a curse at this point. Like, that's just an, uh, an okay item with a curse on it. Plus, it was clearly being used to raise dead or empower the dead. So, like, how about we just change it? And you can have, uh, I'm just going to come back to the next session and tell everybody, hey, uh, I've retconned this item. You know, it does this now. It can raise a skeleton. Once per day, it can raise a skeleton, and you have a little skeleton buddy. And he can do stuff for you. And every time you do this, or every day you don't, like, kill somebody, you have to make a saving throw, and eventually stuff will happen. But I'm just going to go back. Like, should I hold myself... Or should I be able to go back and say, I'm just going to retcon this. I want a well, cooler item. If the original intent was it for it to raise dead, and then when he put it on, you you choked and you made it a cloak of protection, uh, and now you're like, oh, I wanted to go back to being the original idea. I don't have an issue with that. I think that that's fine. I, I don't understand why you changed it if it was always supposed to bring back the dead, then it brings back the dead. Because I had no idea in that five-second period of time of I put the necklace on, because mm-hmm. you have to tell them what the necklace do after like a, a, a long rest. Uh, but basically, if, uh, if if you're in a D, if you're in D and D world mm-hmm. and you like look real like real hard at an item, you know what it is. Yeah. Like that's just a skill that you get to have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's zero but, mystery. Zero yeah. mystery, yeah. And it's because they don't want to make people take the identify spell. That's that's what that is. There you go. So, but yeah. So he so okay. I have to come up with something. And I did not know in that moment how to come up with this item can summon undead. And by the way, that's not super broken as fuck because mm-hmm. that can get real broken real fast. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, Zakara makes a, a suggestion: have the item power change or grow as it attunes to the new owner. Ooh. And the curse becomes stronger. So maybe now it's, you know, yeah, it's this protection thing. But then after a while, he walks through a graveyard and a skeleton comes up and appears to just stand there waiting to be commanded. Like all of a sudden, it, it just happens. And he's like, what's shit? Now, 
if if I was in a group in a party and all of a sudden this person seemed to have control of undead, I would go, "Are you evil? Do you need to die? Or how do we profit?" Yeah, this is the first time uh, that my players uh, and we have a like lawful good life mm-hmm. cleric mm-hmm. played by uh, my my friend who is in her sixties and is like a super Catholic. And so she's on team good guy, and I, I, the entire party before our rogue got there has been team good guy. Let's go to the good guy thing because mm-hmm. that's what good guys do, more or like mostly. And then rogue shows up and he's out there like RPing and doing rogue shit. Mm-hmm. And so his antics are cool and hilarious and fun. But now he's doing weird shit, and I don't think that player feel comfortable like grabbing the item from him or saying no. He goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to put it on. And she was like, I don't think that's a good idea, you know, because it, it wasn't. And uh, and he persisted. So I, I don't know as a player, so I, I kind of talked to them, to them about that, or I talked to him, and I want to talk to her. Mm-hmm. But um, in any event, yeah, I wanna, I'm like, well, I can make this a thing now. I can tell a cool story. I can have this corrupting influence, but I should give him something cool in the meantime. And it also foreshadows the power of this evil-ass item. There you go. So... So maybe that's maybe it deceives him and thinks it's only protection. Then it slowly starts changing over time, and you start to see it's a cursed item, and this is how. And then well, they think, need I mean, to figure out what to do. How do we get rid of it? How do we get him to yeah, want to get rid of it? I think that'd be really great if the character was not so all in on <laughs> recklessness. Like he's already in. If I'm like, so this this thing's evil. Cool, 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 cool. cool. But can you clasp it in the back though? I'm not. I'm, I can't. It's, my hair's in the way. Like, that's did not face this person at all. So we're already on team good. We don't we don't have to to gild the lily. He's he's down for cursed stuff. So fuck it, let's have cursed stuff. We cursed stuff. Well, it doesn't it doesn't seem like there's an issue then. I mean, yeah, you're I, gonna. I, retcon- I guess my question was the retcon. There you go. So I just, just want to say, well, there you go. So there's there's a tip. Uh, I've had to retcon Occasionally, stuff. if you feel like you flubbed it. Retcon it. There you go. I don't retcon well, because somebody's upset something didn't go their way. I oh, will, well, that's, no. No, no. I only retcon like, hey, it doesn't make sense. Or overall, it, 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 you know, somebody pointed out I forgot something that had already happened. I'll retcon. I've done that. Yeah. But not if so, it's just, well, it didn't really go my way. And I don't want this to be the end result now. Can we retcon it? Uh, No. Oh yeah, that's no fuck them. Uh-huh. That's I've had and I've had I've had roles go the wrong way, and I'll be salty about it. But I mean, it is what it is. Sometimes you know you just gotta take take the L's. You know it sucks. Just gotta take the L. Move on with life. Uh, let's see. The last thing I had was kind of a uh, I don't know how good this is. If, if this would make more sense if anyone's ever played Star Fox sixty four, called the Star Fox sixty four School of Dungeon Design. In that game. If you did well on, like, level one, you had a path that went to, like, the harder, more victorious route. And if you lost, you had you went down the other way. And so I liked, I, I was trying to come up with ways of not having linear dungeons. I didn't want to have, like, room A that went to room B. And that was kind of hard, I guess. Maybe, maybe my brain not good. So um, I was trying to think of ways to do that. And so I, I, what I kind of came up with... And I don't use it all the time, but I'll have something like a uh, a bridge or something that is destructible on the terrain, uh, moving water, s- something that will separate my players for a short period of time 
or will transport the players to a different route that is sort of a one-way filter. Like you failed the, uh, you know, you you're on this this rope bridge and you didn't defeat the enemies who were cutting the cutting the rope or something, and so now you fall and you fall into this underground uh, stream and you get carried to like the the back end or the of the dungeon or some other weird ass place. It was just something that I kind of came up with to have a non-linear dungeon, and you know, sort of a, this one-way door. But I'm still playing with that. Okay, I mean, in my brain. And we just think to, I don't think of dungeons as linear because if I, if you walk into a room and there are three doors, you get to go three different ways. It's not like first room, second room, third room. It's you go to any of the rooms you want, you go take any path you want. That's true. I, well, I haven't done a whole lot of stuff with like actual like door and room. And I, don't know, I guess I'll, I, this is going to sound stupid. Like, like there's so much unrealistic bullshit in D and D. And frankly, a lot of games, but I still don't like the whole like you're in the parlor and there's a knockdown, drag out melee and fireballs going off, and then down in the observatory, two rooms up, you know, mm-hmm. people are out there just chilling, having their tea. So I've always separated stuff out with elevation, stairways, uh, you know, the stuff that I feel would at least halfway muffle some sound. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that's, that's like my one little like fig leaf I can't let go. So that that was my way of like breaking up the linear dungeon, or or just having an alternate success path. Even if it's not linear, it is well. My players are going to go in here, and there's if they succeed, they get across the bridge, and then there's A and B, and it's non-linear in that respect. Or if they don't get across the bridge, it's room C, and they could see the A and the B. So the world feels real. Mm-hmm. It was there, and now they have this alternate thing that kind of like messes with their how to put it like it's sort of like when you understand what's happening you don't feel threatened always you know it's sort of like that joker meme you know when it's all part of the plan and then like oh we'll go across the bridge and then there's like the the the, the what do they call it the, the portcullis mm-hmm. and there's guards and murder holes okay mm-hmm. we get it this is the plan cross bridge fight guard stab murder hole cast fireball raise portcullis bridge goes out you're in the water and now you're in like uh this underground cave with those weird ass draper things and ropers and other weird ass shit in the in the undercommon or God knows what. I don't know. It's a fun one to like knock their expectations. Yeah. I mean it's nice to be able to surprise them, you know, playing the game you know, you don't want it to become you don't want the same thing over and over. You don't want it to get stale. So you need to change the layout of things. You need to change what happens. You need to change up the challenges that are there. But yeah, I just I don't I guess I don't think of dungeons as linear at all. And I guess that's why I'm having a hard time with this one for you. Fair enough. I think maybe I just have again, maybe I just don't have like a great great dungeon design. I've never I've never liked a lot of my dungeon design and, and that's why I've also relied on maps because they sort of make me think outside the box. So like I found uh a bunch of cave maps and one had ice all over the walls. Mm-hmm. And so then I had to come up with a reason for there to be ice over the walls. So like it improved my GMing. I'm putting more stuff into the scene because I had to, as opposed to you are in generic cave room number three. Like I, I'm not always great at coming up with all kind of like weird, creative, awesome shit. And so if it's all I have, I have to come up with something interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mhm. Well, there you go. That's how, how about now? I've given some stuff. Do you have any? No, I got nothing. 
n- nothing. <laughs> you have no laces up the sleeve. Nothing that you're gonna have in your back pocket. Um, well, that you use well, in the middle of the game. Before I start, let's answer Leal's question. Leal has a question for us. How do we handle mind control and charm person? Charm. I mean, charm is actually, and this is in D and D. We say charm. Mind control is its own deal, right? Like that's mm-hmm. any game can have mind, but charmed is like a condition in D and D, and it just says what what you can't do. You can't attack this person, and I think you have disadvantage on like other spells they cast upon you, and it ends upon damage. It's very mechanical. Charmed is very mechanical, so. You just do. You just follow the rules. That's what I would say on charmed. Mind control. I don't think there's any mind control spells in D and D. Is there it is. until like maybe crazy high level? What's what's up there? It's a seventh level enchantment. I was gonna say, be <laughs> something like a big deal. I mean, I don't think Gaius is technically, or Gaius or however you pronounce it is is mind control. What does it do? What, what is what is mind the seventh control? level of mind? Uh, is it, is it, you is can, it called mind control? It's called mind control. You can try to control the mind of a target within range. The target must make a wisdom saving throw. On a failure, you take total control of, over the mind of your target, making them nothing more than a mindless puppet. On a success, the target resists your efforts to mind control it, and you attempt to do it again. You can't attempt for another 24 hours. For the duration, the target is considered stunned, only acting under your commands. You can use your action to command the creature. The target then uses its reaction to take one of the following actions. Dash, disengage, dodge, or help action. An object interaction or a single attack. You can also uh, spend your action to deepen the control over your target. While doing so, you you see through the target's eyes and hear what it hears until the start of your next turn during this time. You are deaf and blind with regard to your own senses. While, th- while in this state, you can choose to either take an action from your yours or from your target's position using any ability or trait contained in the stat blocks, but using your proficiency bonus. Movements, bonus actions, and reactions are taken independently for you and for the mind control target. Okay, I think I found this. Yeah. Is it on D and D Wiki? Yeah, it's this is a homebrew. It's a five E's. It's it is a homebrew, but I he's, he's okay, asked, well, I, it's the question given me. What do you want me to? <laughs> and he says it's an RP situation. I was gonna say it's like this page is created by a user of D and D Wiki. Okay, RP situation. If it's mind control, then uh, you can do something like okay. So if it's if it's a if it's a game situation, I would say you should at least do what this person who wrote this homebrewed spell did and come up with answers. I would say probably take this spell, which has clearly been thought out, and then use it as a template for what does it mean? Okay, I've, uh, this this person's mind-controlled. What can they do? What am I allowed to do via them? How far can I move them? Can I make them harm themselves? Like, these need to be things you have answered mm-hmm. before the thing happened, you know? And at least this person has seemingly thought of the top ten things that might come up. You know, this person is a puppet on a string. You know, uh, let's see the control. I was looking more toward the Shadowrun Five control I think thought the, spell. Yeah, the Shadowrun has it to where you can't have them do anything that they wouldn't normally do. Like you can't say, you know, kill yourself if that person wouldn't normally have a mindset of killing themselves. So, or you know. 
walk off the, the end of a pier if that person wouldn't do that because they know they can't swim. They can't get them to do those things. Right. And uh, I would say you, you, you're probably allowed as a GM to be a little loosey-goosey on some parts of this. It should be what you want it to be should it succeed type of thing. Like, my first instinct is any compatriot of this person is probably going to have a bonus in the shadow run or advantage in D and D or whatever mechanic you want to utilize to recognize that something is fucky. Mm -hmm. Right. Something is janky about this person. Mm -hmm. Maybe just normally you have an insight role or the equivalent thereof to determine that this person is not well or is under the effects of a spell, something. And if they are, well known to the person, maybe they have that advantage or plus two or I was talking about, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, as a way to at least determine something's happening, because it feels, how do I put this? I feel like there's a narrow series of scenarios where mind control on a player, where the player can do nothing and it's difficult to determine that the character is affected by some type of mind-altering effect, mm -hmm by other characters. That's just real narrow. Like, that's something that's real easy for feels bad because it's like, it's gonna, like, like you can see how that's game-breaking, right? Like, they're mind-controlled. Give me your character. Your character's mine now. Well, you all go to sleep and I stab you in the chest I, 45 times because we're trusted it. compatriots. It's, ew, no, you know, it's, I, I'm I, like, real... No, I, I don't think he's talking about playing, using it, on, a player using it on another player. God, I hope not, because that's PvP, and if you're allowing that level of PvP in your game, that's a different conversation. I think he's talking about just in general, how do you work it RP-wise, you know, like, if you're, yeah, but like, like I said, you can't make the monster or the big bad boss do anything they wouldn't normally be willing to do. Right. Yeah, NPC on yeah. player, player, NPC. Yeah, because if it was player v player, as a GM, I would say, nope. You cannot take I, another I thinking, player's agency. You can't take that. I was thinking like monster versus player. All right, like the so monster that's what mind he's controls thinking. you. Yeah. And... yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he tries to mind control somebody and... Well, what I do like about the, the one mind control is... Or uh, at least on Charm Person on D&D. That when you shake it off, if you if you make your save, you'll know who tried to do it. And if the spell terminates or ends, you'll know who did it. So, I mean, there's yeah. a way then for the other players to know, well, somebody's doing something hinky. Yeah, the the, the vast majority of mind controlling stuff is, at least in D&D, very temporary. Like, it'll get you it'll get you to the goal, and it it is... I, I like the mechanic, actually. It, it's the kind of thing that just, like, breaks the game open for you, but then creates a shit ton of problems. It does. There you go, which is which is fun. It's just it's, my control, the solution of and cause to all problems. It's a difficult, it's a difficult thing because I know, like, I enjoy playing Micah. She's a manipulation mage. I enjoy it. I know that I, I just don't go in and use all her stuff. I, I keep it like in the back. Like I, I let other people do because it's one of those things where you can't destroy a game. It, it is a little over, but there's a lot of magic in games that are just a little overpowered. I think if you have if you have a player that's able to cast mind control on a monster, I, I all right, whatever. You know, you, you just can't get the monster to kill themselves or to kill the other monsters. You know, unless you know that Monster Bob really hates Monster Chuck 
And Monster Bob really wants to kill Monster Chuck. All right, if you know that, then yeah, you could probably get that to happen. But if it's the monster doing it to the players, then yeah, as a GM, you do need to give them that that hint of who's doing it. But also, you don't want to remove that player agency and like say, sorry, I'm going to take control of your character now, you know, and you're going to do nothing, or you're going to raise your weapons, uh, your weapon against your comrades. Well, that's a little. You don't want to do that. You don't want to. Wouldn't mind initiate. the weapon if it was. I wouldn't mind the whole like you see your allies shake as he says, "I can't stop it," and then they attack you. That's reasonable. It presents an interesting problem for your your players. It introduces. And it doesn't PvP. feel horrible. It introduces a weird level of PvP that the GM instigated, which feels weird to me. If you can I, do I, it I, at I, a table yeah. and you can do it successfully, God bless. Uh, that's cool. It's just something I wouldn't, I, I would really temper and wouldn't want to like have a player with that capability, just using it all the time on things. Like it would be a little, uh. and as a GM, I, I probably wouldn't use it until they used it. Cause I, I do believe in that rule. I'm only going to use what you're using. If you don't use magic, I won't use magic. If you're going to use magic, I'm going to use the same level of magic. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I've mo- more. I, I, th- I think it depends on the tables mm-hmm. like, I, and, and who you are, who you're with. Like, mm-hmm. I, I personally wouldn't care if Bob was mind controlled and then Bob started beating the shit out of me. It, I mean, I know it's not Bob. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like this guy was like, your character is is bad, and then uh, you know I'm the pal, and he was he stole something, and so it's sort of clock. It's just more like, hey, mm-hmm. that's. The bad guy's hitting me with a big motherfucker. Like, it's not really you. It's just the bad guy yeah. has now removed you from the game and replaced you with a guy who looks like you who's, you know, swinging from my head. It's, it wouldn't mean he feels bad, you know, for me. Yeah, no, no. Well, we've already gone our hour, and I see Craig's decided not to be here anymore. Oh, wait, no, he's oh, still shit. there. He's there, he's there. He's still he's there. He I didn't was, notify. Okay, I was like, I was trying to, to, to reel in the cussing. I avoided a goddamn <laughs> somewhere in there. And then you got me no, with the fine. with the fake out. Ah. <laughs> anyway, you wanted to know tips I had. All right, so yeah, I'm at a weirdness right now. My rabbit goldfish, my sibling, wants to run a D&D game. And he's very excited about it. He has told me how much he has written out of the entire campaign. Oh, God. I'm terrified right now, right? Like, you don't know what we're going to do. No, no, no. I know what you're going to do. I'm like, oh, no. So, please, my tip, don't write out your entire campaign. Have your bullet points, but don't write ev- don't write everything out. Like, he is super excited about this. He can't wait to run this. And I'm terrified because I don't know what kind of GM he is. And I asked him, hey, if you had to, you know, put an adjective <laughs> to what kind of GM style you had, what would it be? He's like, I don't understand. I'm like, oh, well, like some people have described me as a very permissive GM. He's like, okay, so what would you be? He goes, oh, Okay, so if you can't figure out your GM style, number one, please figure out your GM style. Either you're a hardcore rule, you're going to follow all the rules to the letter, you really pay attention to the mechanics, or you have a flair for storytelling, it's going to be heavy RP, and 
you're really you're going to do voices and stuff and you're going to create a world and you guys have to figure out how to just tell me what kind of a gm you're going to be um the other thing i and this is because i'm just a lazy person um when it comes to world building i let the players do it i don't need to build this world they live in it too and so when it's well you know what land is it i don't know where do you guys live what's your city what is it known for anything cool around there anything happen history wise and you're just trying to get them to build the world so they're a little have have a little buy-in into it and then i always like to let the players describe what happens especially in combat because i don't want to describe the combat for them i they killed them great you tell me how you killed them tell me what happened what did that scene look like and then they get to describe and they get really involved and, and they they like doing it and they do it based on the die roll and the weapon they have and and they, they do a good job uh and i think it helps them feel like they're more a part of the storytelling when you do that also it takes a lot of the burden off of you to come up with this stuff because you know cool. i have to, i have horrible improv skills so i rely heavily on my players to help build the world and to help tell the story and describe things i don't want to i don't want to do it because i want them to be a part of it too i don't want it to just be my world i'm telling to them i want it to be the world we create at the table but i have a feeling in goldfish's game i'm gonna be in his world how do you feel about that i'm how do you terrified feel about being in i'm so terrified well, because you already have the weird sibling dynamic, right? Which siblings always have that weird. You don't. You don't know. You're an only child, right? Yeah, I don't know what you you're don't talking know. about, except no. all the forlorn no. youth time I yeah. spent playing Legos alone. No, no. Siblings <laughs> always have a weird. There's always weird dynamics among siblings. It, it is yes, rivalry. There is sometimes competition. It also, like who does who does the parents love more? Who's the better child? Who's the more successful one? Who's this? There's a always crap. a competition among. We're super <laughs> this makes competitive. D &D. <laughs> this kills the fun of the D and D. We <laughs> have the better child. Yeah. Who was loved more? We have the argument in front of my mother, and we make her say which one is her favorite. <laughs> and she's just like, "I love all of you. Like you can't, you can't love us all equally. It's impossible." <laughs> But when we get together just on sibling night and play a game, like my younger siblings, I mean, get pissed if they start losing. And you think I drop the F-bomb. These girls drop it more than I. I mean, they get pissed and mad, throw shit. And like, they're very competitive. So I, I'm worried about this because it's me and one of my other, uh, one, my youngest sister will be playing. And I don't know who else is going to play in this. He wants it face to face, not online at all. So it has to be somebody that'll physically be here. Uh, but he's got everything written out. And I can't tell. But when I listen to him make comments about D&D &D and like things I tell him about the games I'm in. He, he always has like some comment and they're very strict, extringent. Like he takes a, a very strict line on some things. And it makes me think like I'm going to be playing with uh, a GM that thinks very linear 
and expects you to follow his logic rather than your own. And I'm not in his head to know what his logic is. So that's a problem. Um, and I also feel it's, uh, I think he's going to be very, very rules. Like, like strict. He will give no bend. On I would like to allay your fears okay. if I can. Uh -huh. Am I describing you as a GM? You're just you're describing me when I first started. Okay. There's a path. Uh -huh. So there, I think a lot of people like me saw safety in rules. There are these rules, and this game is like a big deal and has done well. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So therefore, I am deeply distrustful of anything that's not the rules because these were made by the enlightened, you know, these were made by George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Monty Cook, and mm -hmm. and Skip, where the fuck his name is, and they came down from heaven mm -hmm. with Gary Gygax as Jesus, and the they made this game. And I'm not gonna fuck it up, okay? You know, and I'm not gonna be like, who do I think I am mm -hmm. to be fucking with the plan? You know, this is the divine plan. Wow. So that was I. That's how I saw it mm -hmm. when I first came, and so I was like. Fucking encumbrance rules. Yeah, encumbrance rules. Ammunition counting. Mm -hmm. yes. But that's bad. That's... It doesn't work in D&D. &D. In Shadowrun, it totally does, and I don't care that you don't like it. It's great. I count every fucking shell casing in Shadowrun. In D&D, &D, doesn't work. It's bad. And the Shadowrun books are also down from the mount. The rules. Uh are also getting, the direct kind of, word. but the the gift oh, no, of Shadowrun is that yeah. the rules are so bad <laughs> that you can't you can't mistake this for the divine plan. It's like you're reading some stuff, and lo, upon her monthly time, she shall not eat it of the shrimp. You're like, I don't think this is like real shit, y'all. This is bad. Like it's, you know, if you just read the drowning rules in Shadowrun, you'll be like, okay, let's do some homebrew. Let's just uh, let's just fix it. So. Uh, off that aside, there is this early bit, and you don't know what you don't know, you know, to quote the illustrious Donald Rumsfeld. You know, you have your known knowns and your unknown knowns. And so when I sat down, I brought out a giant graph paper. I drew out my town of New Rock City, and I had this part is the farmer's market, and this part over here is a residential area appropriate to the size of a medieval town in roughly 1500. Uh, Italy, which it's based on. And over here is uh, each of the individually named shops. Now I will name every NPC, and I'm going to, like, I'm going to draw this out like a fucking mist book and, and write every single jot, tittle, and atom, and you'll kill yourself, but you don't know that. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know where to cheat, where you need to have your effort is the hardest thing, I think. Knowing that kind of shit, where do I put my effort? I'm excited. I'm inspired. I want to do the thing. I know. How do I, I want do to it? do the thing, but I think as a GM, you should be talking the least. It should be the players talking the most. And I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just what he tells me has everything written. Out. Oh, and then we made my character today, which I told him, read up on this because I'm doing it. I said, oh, are we going to do the traits, the background? Because no, we're not doing that stuff. Oh, um, okay. Well, I'm just going to write a few notes down. He goes, oh, by the way, add... You have uh you have this item, this item, and this item. You'll understand why in the game. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're gonna tell me what I already am in the game. Okay. You're gonna That's tell me what dude. I already am in the game. I'm already starting as something. I I renege on my leg of the fears. <laughs> oh god, my car is white. Or this. 
It, it, I, thank you. I'm so happy. Here. Record this. No, I'm not. I can't record, record it. this train wreck. You know who I feel bad for? I feel bad for the one extra motherfucker you're putting to this maelstrom of shitstorm sibling bullshit. That person is fucked. It might be the youngest <laughs> sister's boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean... Okay, I uh, sure. Can we all get together and just put like some Patreon money for this <laughs> motherfucker's therapy bills? <laughs> yeah, they plan on moving in together in February. We'll see if that still happens. <laughs> I don't know. Gonna, we're gonna move in in February. Meanwhile, like Jupiter and Brother, like I'm gonna make this so toxic. <laughs> I don't want it to be toxic. Like I want to be a good player. I just want to play the game. I want to have fun. But I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm thinking, like, all the things I don't want him to be as the GM, these are my tips. <laughs> you guys, don't talk a lot. Don't write all the stuff out. Don't tell players what they already are. <laughs> yeah, work with your players to come up with ways. Like, I, I don't do the whole, like, what city are we in? I, I do like to have something of a world. I don't do crazy world building anymore, and I'll see where it goes. I do like to have a place. And then, like, people and things. Mm -hmm. Very Curse of Strahd. Like, here's a place. Here are some people. Here are some, like, places within the place that are of note. And these are, like, the key people and what they're kind of, like, about. Mm -hmm. Like, what their what their deal is. Hmm. And do that quickly. You do not need to go online and do the big character over and be like, he is a dwarf. He was three foot six with his heavily pockmarked face. He's on his, he's dating his second ex-wife. Uh, you know, like, you don't need to go... You'll go nuts giving that yeah. level of detail. You know, I, it, I, I, yeah, I don't get, and, and Zakar's like, oh, maybe he has you on the rails, maybe. And that's another thing is that you don't put people on the rails. That's just a shitty thing to do. But when I brought this up, because I said, you know, the one thing I don't like when I was trying to find out what a GM kind of GM he was, I said, you know, being put on the rails is really bad. Nobody likes it. He goes, I don't put anybody on the rails. Don't worry. There's a logic to it. You'll understand. Oh, God. I'm on the logic God, train. Man. Your brother is like, <laughs> he got you down to a T. I'm going to assume you're just as shitty. But I can tell when you say stuff like, I want to be a good person. You're saying that a in a totally not believable way. Like, it, you, I, I didn't <laughs> kill that person in the train. I don't know. It just sounds real like. No, I do want to play. I want to play with my siblings. It's how I started in this game was my brother invited me to play with him and his friends. And I, I saw so where I started. I, I want to play the game with them. I do. But he's just like, like Leel is pointing out, he is throwing so many red flags that I'm he's just sitting here going, rails. I don't know the, what's happening. I, I think you should forgive a new play, a new GM. He's not brand new. He's putting... GM'd in the past. That's why I asked oh, him, what kind what of GM we... are you? How would you not know? I think How that's would you I was... not know? Exactly. Because you're like... Maybe it's just fucking what? with me. I, if, if this is all an ultra okay. troll yeah. and he is throwing red yeah. flags at you from every direction uh -huh. in order to fuck with you, that is so... He, so like, my I brother, would, it's something I would do if I thought of it. I would not <laughs> fuck with this person. I would just give them the bigger slice of cake and move on with my fucking day. <laughs> Yeah, it just comes a point. <laughs> <laughs> He's diabetic. That'll kill him. 
<laughs> that's the only way you win. That's the only way you're going to win this person. If he is operating at gigabrain level yeah. of I'm going to throw out yeah. every red flag <laughs> of GMing in a reverse, double reverse Ponzi troll. Yeah. Like, fuck. Yeah, I would, I I would let this person go. So uh, I guess but if, I will yeah. give updates when we start. Like I said, I got my character sheet made. I'm going to be a human druid. Cause I rode so I rolled so badly I got an eight. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Eight is a normal dump stat, right? I put it in. I put it in. Uh, um, I'm druid. I'm gonna be shape changing druid human. I put it. I put my eight in charisma, because I said, you know what? He's nice enough, but he's just very filthy and dirty and smelly, and that's why he has an eight charisma. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing this because my band didn't take off, man. I have this hippie version in my brain, like this guy who's like life didn't like failure to launch druid. I don't know. Went to live out in the trees. But uh I, your brother's history aside, I would say it's okay for a new GM to have rails. Like I think every first time ever to play GM mm-hmm. is gonna be like, Okay, so here is the city and there are there are some goblins and they're doing some bad stuff. And we heard that they were off to the east and there's a cave and and they've captured the mayor's, you know, the mayor's wife. You know, she was captured along with her guards uh, on a on a, a merchant caravan. And you need to go in there and get them. Like that's like fine. Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're the player who's like, yeah, let's blow this town. Yeah. You know, let's go across the seas. What's over there? Like don't. You gotta let people grow, man. You know, they they gotta get there. Yeah. But if your brother's GM'd a lot before. How do you not? He's never GM for you, I guess is the deal. He has never GM for me. Ah, what does he normally GM? Has he GM'd fifth edition before? I no, I don't think he has. So what? What did he GM? He's a two, two, D and D second. Oh, that's the last time he's GM'd. Is he new again? Has it been so long that he's new again? May, maybe. Uh, this is yeah. I'm with Zarkaria on the uh, record oh, this no. <laughs> train wreck. Leo wants it recorded too. <laughs> like I can't record it. Um, God. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give you updates. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, maybe maybe all my fears are wrong. Maybe it'll be the best gaming experience ever. Maybe I could be hopeful. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trust no, what someone... No, he's not doing new... Thacko, by the way. He is not doing Thacko. <laughs> Thacko? <first>. No. <laughs> he's not doing Thacko. <laughs> I told him no. But he's like, you know, second edition had good points. No. No. Bad GM. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Stop it. Get some help. Like, it's, I'm, I don't know. I, I have nothing to say about D&D. So I never played it because I was not here. Wait, when was when was second edition big? I don't know. <laughs> when dust was young, <laughs> when dust was young. <laughs> yeah, the 80s. Yeah, the the yeah. Okay, I was pretty young back in the, the old day yeah. there. But uh, well, I did want to bring up one thing, and that is the the type of GM. I don't know. I would have said I was like your brother, probably. Mm-hmm. I like the laws and the rules, and that's what makes things orderly. And uh, and I'm a lot more loosey goosey than I used to be. I don't have. You know, like I am a cotton GM. There you go. I don't have a great answer for that mm-hmm. because some things I'm toe the line on. I'm not like the most loosey goosey person I've played with. That's Bamps. 
That's yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and I'm not saying I I I know I I can do much better as a GM. I know that, but I can, and I'm sure he'll you know as he does it will also evolve. The more he gets to do it, so fine. But I'm just curious and afraid of what I have to endure. I got you. And again, I feel bad for this uh, this boyfriend because yeah, he's got no outer. We don't know yet or... if he's gonna be in it. Okay, because he can't yet. do shit you can do. Like there's there's <laughs> the sub game where you all know each other, and one of them is gonna do something on the sibling shitty index mm -hmm. and you're all going to know and he's going to be like going to be there oblivious like he's just going to be like belgium and like world war like 2 just like hi guys have fun i got me <laughs> like why well, uh, well, i'm just here to have fun we'll find out we don't know who's going to take that chair but i think we can only get 3 i'll i'll try for four players because i want you know but i don't want to invite people to the nightmare but i just want a good table but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. But yeah, that's. I think that's why I couldn't really frame this. Uh, this this episode because you were talking about chips. Uh, tips of being a good GM, and I'm like, I'm in a heightened state of fear about a new GM. <laughs> tell me, how can they be a good GM? I will. I will tell them all of these tips. <laughs> God, I just want to be. I just hope your brother goes the most like loosey goosey shit like like someone rolls to do something and they're and it's bad he goes yeah but you know man like you really stacked the deck on that one so i would give it to you man i just <laughs> just trap you nuts is he matthew mcconaughey <laughs> maybe in this example is that where i went did i go to matthew mcconaughey well shit went a little your brother right, should be right, i right. assume he's a deeply handsome texan is all i can imagine <laughs> It doesn't make sense at all, but no, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, all right, let's wrap this up. Say goodbye, cops. Yep. Goodbye, y'all. <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. We will.